What up, peeps? Swizz here, August 4th, Thursday. And you know what Thursdays mean. But even better, the Blue Grotto eating whatever he's eating, seeing all the boats out there. We got EY from SoFi and yours truly here. We're going to rip it up, as they say. Market call. Today's market call brought to you by FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. SoFi people, get your money right in one app, one. And of course, we're powered by Open Exchange. Now, Typically, things can get a little off the rails here. So before we even start, I want to say there's something going on. It appears as though this is just me because I wear makeup as well. I change from time to time. My palette changes. You got it going on today. It looks like sort of an eel <laughs> maquillage situation or something. You Enlighten said it right, here. I think. I think. So I, for our viewers, I was telling a story. I fell for one of those Instagram ads. They've been targeting me for months and I finally fell for it. So I'm wearing new makeup today. I'm glowing, evidently. It's working, and the sales pitch, I guess, is worth it. Uh, no doubt about it. And if you people had ill maquillage on your bingo card, you win automatically. <laughs> There's no shot of that happening. But, you know, talking about – so you basically what you're saying is you acquiesced. You gave in. I did. And Jeff Gunlock, we're going to go right to it. He's saying sort of the yield curve is sort of acquiescing here in a major way. Before we get into that – the market's had a great run since the middle of June. June 15th, obviously, Fed meeting. June 16th, the market sold off on the back of a Swiss National Bank surprise rate hike of 50 basis points. But since then, outside of a couple of days, we've been off to the races. The S&P got to effectively 4,200. We'll see what happens today. I think this is the beginning of something. But talk to me about the market because you've been spot on with this thing. I think your sense is it might be some time to take a bit of a pause in this rally. Yeah, look, the S&P is up, what, 13% since the middle of June. That feels like a bit much, given the fact that the Fed is not done hiking and we still have inflation at 9.1%. Mm -hmm. Now, even if inflation starts to come down, if you look at it at over different time frames, and I think this is what we have to do right now, is think about, all right, what happens between now and the end of the year versus what happens between now and the end of August, right? So if this rally has gotten a little bit ahead of itself, chances are that in August, we see some more dips that might even happen later this week. It might happen when we get the next CPI report and find out that it's still high. I think those dips are actually opportunities to enter the market. Mm -hmm. So I want people to get back into some of the sectors that they've been out of, because I do think the second half of this year still can be much better than the first half, but it's going to take a little bit more data. And I also like that the Fed is kind of using a veil of mystery here, waiting for the data to come in and watching it with the rest of us to see what the market does. But yes, bottom line, I do think this rally is a bit ahead of itself, especially in tech. Okay, so before we go to the Gunlock tweet, I'll say a couple things. You said chances are obviously a beautiful song by the great Johnny Mathis. And then you mentioned the word mystery. I will tell you that Building a Mystery Live by Sarah McLaughlin is wonderful. I, I encourage wow. you folks to go and check it out on the YouTube video. I, See, I that's the way I roll here when Dan Nathan fan. is. She's from Canada. I think okay. she does a nice job. Listen, I don't have a myriad of songs on my 745 Spotify song playlist, but there are a couple. Yeah. But Amanda's going to get in my ear in a second and yell at me. So let's move on to the Gunlock tweet <laughs> because this is something we have talked about for a while. And I will tell you, we've sat here on Market Call and I've said, I think the yield curve is going to invert to the tune of about 50 basis points and will come in the form-ish of two and a half in the 10-year which we're getting precariously close to, and 3% in the two-year, 
which we've been sort of trading either side of. So what are your thoughts about Gunlock? Because he says rough road ahead. I tend to agree with him here. Yeah, well, and we're going to we're going to dig into this deeper, too, in the next slide. But yes, rough road ahead usually does happen when you see an inversion that is like this, right? That's this deep that lasts for this long. I will admit that when I woke up today and saw that we were getting closer to 40 bips on inversion, it did make me a bit nervous. Mm. The question mark had been for me, okay, so we had this sort of technical recession. We can all argue about the definition of recession as long as we want to, but we had this sort of technical recession where it was two negative quarters of GDP. That might just be a little flash in the pan. And the big question mark had been for me, but do we have a bigger one in 2023 if we don't take care of the inflation problem, a la the double dip in the early 1980s? That had been kind of a 50-50 for me, honestly, before this week. And now seeing this inversion get deeper and last longer, now I'm a little bit more 60-40 that we have a chance of a pretty big recession in 2023 if we don't take care of this inflation problem. But here's the interesting part. So this inversion continues to be exaggerated by a drop in the 10-year, right? A drop in the 10-year yield, which tells me people are nervous about recession, nervous about growth. It also tells me that they think the Fed is going to have to reverse course at some point in the near to medium term. I think also the market is expecting that the Fed goes too far and that that's the reason that we go into this deeper recession. I will say this, this is probably an unpopular opinion, especially with my co-host today, I think there's still a chance that the Fed pulls this off and I'm rooting for them to pull it off because it would prevent some deep pain in the market. I still think there's a chance that they do it. I'll tell you why I think they pull it off because so far to this point, Jerome Powell has been very clear about what he was going to do, how big he was going to hike, how far he was going to go. Now, like I said before, this veil of mystery comes over the market, and I think that we are going to watch with him what happens in the data, and he'll decide as we go out into the future. Here's what I want to talk about with this table, and we're going to dig a little bit deeper here. This might give people some peace when we look at how deep this yield curve inversion has gone. So this table is showing us the inversions that have happened since the late 70s. It shows you not only when it started, but what the max inversion was. So today we got down to about 38 bips inverted. Max inversion on this table is obviously almost 250 bips. So that's way bigger than what we've seen recently. The length of the inversion. And then I think the last two columns are the most important here. The S&P 500% total return between the first bit of inversion to the max inversion level. Look at that. There's nine observations there. Only three of the nine are negative. So what that tells you, if you look at the last column, the period of time between when the yield curve actually inverts and when crap hits the fan, pretty long. So even though this inversion does give me a little anxiety, it doesn't mean that the next 30 to 60 days are going to be terrible. Usually we have a little extra time between inversion and when things actually happen, if there's a deep recession or when the market hits that next peak and sees a drawdown. I'm back. I apologize. I There's figured. a ghost in the machine. That was a great album by the police, <laughs> but it's a shitty way to try to do a podcast here, whatever the hell we're doing. I apologize to everybody out there. And thanks for carrying the laundry, as they say. I will tell you in terms of flash in the pans, are the Brewers a bit of a flash in the pan here? Because <gasps> losing of three in a row, Cardinals dead on their heels. We'll talk about that in a second. But in terms of lower yields, 
It's really interesting. I don't think that's particularly bullish. Historically, obviously, lower yields are bullish for the stock market. But in this case, it's to me, it's a sense of the economy is not doing that well. And, you know, we're going to continue to grind lower. Now, I think the market is taking its cues from the weak data. And I think they're saying, wait a second, we got two months before we hear from these geniuses again. A lot can happen. Maybe they will pause. I don't think they can because I think inflation is still going to be a problem, despite the fact that crude oil continues to be sort of on, it, on, on its heels, as they say. We'll take a look at that later. But we have, a jo- we have a job number coming up in as well. And what does that mean? Because you've pointed out correctly that things seem to be rolling over here a bit, EY, on the job front. And again, I don't think that augurs particularly well for the economy and the market. You're right. It doesn't. And and yes, I had been pointing this out. I'd almost been waiting for it to happen. And I don't want to say I wanted it to happen, but sometimes you want that confirmation that things are happening in the sequence that they should. So what happens first always is the market goes, right? And then that occurred. Earnings are still a bit of a question mark for me because they haven't been as bad. I know we're going to get into that. Haven't been as bad as we would have expected. But here's the thing about the labor market. And and who knows what happens in this payroll number tomorrow? I feel like those numbers are always a little bit of a wild card. But these initial claims numbers and the continuing claims numbers are really important to watch because they're high frequency, meaning we get them on a weekly basis. And you do start to see a trend much sooner than you're going to see those lagging monthly indicators. So continuing job claims. And actually, I got this question on Twitter a couple of weeks ago. I had posted continuing jobless claims and somebody asked why why I watch that and not initial claims, because continuing claims are the sticky ones. Mm-hmm. There's always going to be some friction in the labor market. People are moving jobs. Maybe they had a month in between, whatever the case may be. Initial claims can show you some of those big changes in the moment, but continuing claims are the ones where people have been unemployed for a while. And we're obviously seeing a trend upward here The labor market is usually one of the last things to start showing stress in the economy. So I think it's good that we're moving through this pattern. However, we've already heard announcements from other companies in the last week about laying off certain parts of their labor force. So I think we're going to see some more stress in the labor market. But the most important thing that I want to point out is that in the last press conference from Jerome Powell, he said that they expected cooling Mm -hmm. in the labor market. We're looking at a 3.6% unemployment rate. They've got room before they're going to get uncomfortable with labor. That's exactly right. And the fact that I'm glad you brought that up because the fact that he brought that up suggests to me that even if you see a surprise, a negative surprise on the job front, that's not going to derail the Fed from doing what they're doing. They're anticipating exactly what you're talking about. So I guess my question back to you, and I got to tell you, I have no idea what the answer is, but will bad news in terms of the job front be good news for the market? And maybe initially it will be, but I think when people come to the realization that, hey, the Fed is preparing for this, they're not that concerned about it, maybe bad news can be bad news for the market. Thoughts on that? I actually think bad news in the labor market would be good news for the market, given why I think this rally is happening. I think this rally is happening because people are expecting the Fed to turn dovish. So it might be good news initially. When we get a CPI number though, if that CPI number surprises on the upside or God forbid goes up again, Mm -hmm. that's bad news for the market because then we have to reverse everything that we just priced in from a dovish standpoint, right? So if CPI goes higher, then people realize, you know what? We still got to fight this. The Fed isn't going to pivot. Maybe 75 goes back on the table for September, and that causes a correction. If CPI is higher than 9.1, I mean, to me, even if CPI is 8.5 or higher, I think that's disastrous given the sell-off we've seen in commodities. 
since into that last CPI print and since. So I don't know. I mean, again, higher than 9.1%, God help us, because I think the market sells off in a meaningful way. And to your point about the bad news being good news, I understand that on a knee jerk, but I think the market will come to the realization that, hey, wait a second, you know, the Fed has anticipated a slowdown in jobs, and maybe we're not going to see the pause that everybody seems to think we're going to see. Julian Emanuel, who, by the way, David Rosenberg has talked about that as well. We had him on our podcast. Julian Emanuel does not think the bottom is in, and he actually talks about it. We don't think we've seen the bottom yet in this bear market. Obviously, I agree with him. I don't think you do. That's what makes markets. But there are a lot of people coming down. We've had voices saying the bottom is in. It's clear sailing now. Obviously, the truth is somewhere in between. But obviously, Julian is a little bit bearish here. Yeah, I think so. We're a little bit on different sides of the coin for this. I think that if we see a new bottom that's meaningfully lower than what we've already seen, it doesn't happen until we find out that we're headed into a more classic recession scenario. I think for now, even if we retest those lows, I don't think we blow through them to the downside because I do expect, even if we got an eight and a half percent CPI print, I think the market would be satisfied with the idea that it's starting to trend downward. Now, I don't think it counts as a trend downward until we've seen three consecutive months of month over month declines, which obviously at this point, we're not going to know about until at least October. So there's some time before we can confirm that. But I think a new meaningful bottom wouldn't happen until later at this point, because of the way the calendar works, I'm going to say that probably doesn't happen until 2023. Of course, I could be wrong on that. But if we retest the lows in August, again, I think those are times that you try to re-enter buy some stuff that is supposedly on sale and ride it through the end of the year. I do think that there could be good upside in the market, especially in the fourth quarter once we get midterms behind us. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, I've said we were talking about this last fall that I thought the back half of this year, specifically the fall, would be very good. I'm surprised we haven't sort of had that capitulation yet. Maybe we won't get it. You know, again, that's what makes markets. We'll see. I will tell you, though, everybody's looking at these big tech earnings that have come out and said Mm -hmm. these earnings have been gangbusters. Well, I will tell you, the stock moves on the back of them have been gangbusters. And I'm not going to play stock market here, but I'll look at these quarters and say, you know what? Apple, 2% year-over-year revenue growth. That's the lowest we've seen in quite some time. Microsoft, the day of earnings, closed around 254. So the knee-jerk reaction after their number was to sell it down to 242. The stock came back and has been off to the races ever since on the back of their commentary, which suggested they're not seeing slowdown in demand, which may or may not be true. But the market took its cues from that. So to me, these earnings reports weren't nearly as great as the moves we've seen in the underlying stocks suggest. Amazon maybe being a bit of an outlier. But in terms of Microsoft and Apple, you know, I understand what's going on here, but I don't think nearly to the fact that it's on the back of earnings because I've seen much better earnings releases from both those companies. And we haven't seen nearly the commensurate moves on some of those reports. So what are your thoughts on just on the back of that? Yeah. So, I I mean, I said before, I think this this rally is a bit ahead of itself. I think it's especially ahead of itself in tech. And I'll tell you, when we start to actually hear about demand softening is when people start to worry about the labor market. So that sort of has to bake through first. Think about it just from a practical standpoint as a consumer. When do you stop spending money on really expensive phones and computers and other components when you're worried about your job, right? So I don't know that obviously the demand issues have baked through yet in tech. We are obviously hearing more strong data from Q2 than we were expecting. But I think this is also just a function of the expectations. People were so worried after such a terrible Q2 in the market, 
worried that we would get all of this terrible news out of companies and we didn't get that. So the bar was low. And even on those beats that weren't huge beats, but on the misses is where I was more surprised. Companies that missed are still getting rewarded slightly in the market. So some of that just feels a little bit out of control for me. And I think that we have to correct it back to a more reasonable level in multiples, especially in tech. Yeah, I agree with you. And if you look at this chart, I mean, we're through obviously the 50 day, we're approaching again, headed up to the 200 day. I don't think we're going to get there. I think we're going to do a back and fill here. Although the 50 day is sloping higher, you still have a 200 day moving average that basically in the spring started to roll over. And I think that's going to still be important. And those things typically don't turn on a dime in terms of headed back higher with the 200-day. We'll see how it plays out. But I definitely think some of these stocks have clearly gotten ahead of themselves. And although I'm not seeing slowing in demand yet, I think it's just a matter of time for all the reasons we stated. Again, if the job market softens up a bit here, I think by definition, you're going to see a pullback in demand. But we'll see how it plays itself out. Let's go to your note because you know I always... I mean, I start on Sunday nights getting excited about your note because I know you sit around with your feety pajamas and say, okay, how can I sort of, how can I get under guy's skin? You did it with this because. Oh man, right in the middle of when he was telling us how we, how I got under his skin. I'm just going to start going on it. So the earnings engine that could, I can't wait to find out why this is bothering him. <laughs> the earnings engine that could, well, I've alluded to this already a little bit, but the expectations for earnings, I think, were so dour coming into this earnings season. They haven't moved down that much. And I will admit that has surprised me. So when you look at the highs, the estimate highs for 2022 and the estimate highs for 2023, we're only 1% off those highs in revisions downward for 2022, only 2.4% off those highs for 2023. I don't think that's enough. I still think that there's going to be more revisions downward, even if the second quarter surprised us to the upside. I think the third and fourth quarter are going to see some softness. In the note, I said that that softness might be to the tune of about 5% more revised downward for 2022. And then let's think about maybe 5 to 10% revised downward for 2023. Obviously, this all hinges on how quickly inflation comes down. And you know what's interesting is that the opinions have really widened out. We've got people on one side of the equation who think that inflation is just gonna fall off a cliff in the next few months. And we've got people that think it remains a problem for the next two years. So this is really the piece that we have to watch. Also remember, companies came into this with record high profit margins. So they have been absorbing it up to this point. And this is also where we're gonna see some separation. Goods producing companies might see some relaxation and some relief before services companies. Services inflation is much stickier than goods inflation. As the supply chain corrects itself or loosens itself up, and as commodity prices come down, goods sensitive companies are going to see more relief than services sensitive companies. So you have to think about that too when you're looking at what you want to buy in the market. The last thing I want to make a point of on here is that when we talk about multiple compression and multiple expansion, Think about what's happening in this market environment. We've seen a rally on the edge of, although not huge revisions downward, but still revisions downward. So that means that the multiple has expanded. That is something that I don't see as hugely sustainable in this environment, especially if we expect revisions to continue to come down. So we probably see some multiple contraction 
over the next couple months. Yeah, I agree with that. You mentioned Keep Them Separated, which is a song, I believe, by The Offspring. You probably know better than I. It's probably on your Spotify playlist. That's not a bad pull by me, right? And that whole little engine that could, it reminds me of Ben Stiller in like Meet the Fockers or something (laughs) when he's trying to explain one of those little cats that was born to a large litter to Gwyneth Paltrow's mom and Robert De Niro. But again, that's neither here nor there. And I guarantee none of you people had Ben Stiller. But what you definitely had, because it's Thursday, is Butters. And what Butters is coming out and saying, and by the way, we're going to talk about Butters in a second, is companies that are coming out with decent earnings reports or guiding higher are being rewarded for it. And that that is true. And I think to your point earlier, it's about what was expected into this earnings season. And a lot of people were expecting the worst. And they're not getting it. Now, maybe it's just a matter of time. Maybe we're a quarter or two off. But what Butters is saying is, look, if you're coming in in line or better, your stock is being rewarded. We talked about Microsoft, Apple, NVIDIA, Amazon, Tesla to a certain extent. And we're seeing it here, EY. Yep. Yep. And and again, that's another thing, just like the multiple expansion that we've seen, some of this just doesn't really make sense in the environment, right? So I feel like this rally just continues to prove to us that it's a little ahead of itself Earnings are important. And look, in the beginning of this year, I came into the year saying, this is the year where fundamentals are going to matter. We're going to see separation among companies. We're going to see separation among sectors. It turned out the biggest separation we saw was that energy did well and everything else did bad. Mm -hmm. And macro still ruled the day. Unfortunately, I think that still is the case. And earnings reports are important and they will always be important. But the macro story is still the most important one to the market moves probably for the foreseeable future. I agree with you. And to a certain extent, and we haven't talked about this, and I don't necessarily think it's a big deal, but, you know, geopolitical, again, seemingly rearing its ugly head. It didn't really have a big impact on the market. But, you know, I don't think the China-Taiwan situation is over by any stretch. And I think you have to factor that in as well. And listen, Taiwan is the largest producer of semiconductors in the world. You wonder what happens if there's a flare-up now and sort of the ancillary trickle-down effect on the back of it. By the way, and people, I'm sorry to tell you this. What's say like August? What's say the fifth, fourth, fifth, fourth. fifth, fourth, fourth. August fourth? I, I lose track of time. You get to my age, and you're lucky you wake up in the morning. But <laughs> this is it for butters for the month of August. Uh, people, please, I can hear you collectively screaming into your computer screens. Butters is away. I don't know where the hell he's going. He's got everybody's got to sort of recharge their batteries. Clearly, Dan did it. Butters is month. doing it now. I know it's nuts, Man. right? I, I mean, gotta find a job where I can take there? a month off. I mean that you know. Listen, he's been a fact set for a while. I guess he's got to, he's going to enjoy his opportunity <laughs> to take his vacation. I hope he goes somewhere fun. And by the way, how is he going to do it? Watch this segue here. He's going to do it to like a bookings holding or an Expedia. See what I did there? Because <laughs> guess what, folks? Smooth. We saw some reports and take a look at the price action. I will tell you, these stocks have been under significant pressures. Bookings tops estimates, but the stock falls on their outlook. And again, it comes down to outlook and we're seeing it again. So here's a stock obviously that everybody loved earlier, basically earlier this year to a certain extent late last year, but again, falling on hard times. I will tell you on valuation, you can make a very compelling case for these stocks, but you know what? The stocks are not acting that way. So what are your thoughts? Not necessarily in the stocks, but what does it say about the consumer, if anything? Well, I'm going to tell a little story. Oh, this just gives good. me I an like opportunity stories. to vent. Last weekend, this is just about the travel industry broadly. Now, look, I am no stranger to airplanes. I have been in every airport. I've been on a lot of planes. So I understand delays and all the other things that can happen. All I tried to do last weekend was get to North Carolina to hang out with my aunt and my mother. One trip. That's it. 
direct flight there, direct flight back. I had three canceled flights in that one little trip. And I'll tell you what, it made me not want to buy another flight. It was a pretty poor experience. I went back and forth to LaGuardia twice. So that's part of it, right? People are not having a great experience traveling. The other part of it is think about how expensive it's been to travel. It's been expensive to get on those planes. And I'll tell you, the planes are still full. Mm -hmm. People are still paying it. But the leisure traveler is price sensitive. The business traveler is not. And companies like Booking.com, Expedia, some of those, those are more leisure traveler sites. So I do expect that not only as the summer travel season slows down, but as people just don't feel like going through all of the hassle of what I just experienced, they're going to suffer and there's going to be top line issues. Yeah, I agree with that. And I'm, it's a shout out to Is that your mom's sister, by the way? And if so, what's her name? We call her aunt what? Aunt Josie. No. My mom has six sisters. Yeah. Stop it. You know that I can. So she has nine brothers and sisters. Listen to this. Christy, Vicky, Tommy, Josie, Peggy, Jamie, Tammy, Michael, Nancy, John. It's tremendous. I mean, that <laughs> that is a fun Thanksgiving in the young household. You get you probably that means if my math is right, understanding sort of the demographics and the times and the eras, you probably have close to 24 first cousins. No, actually, I'm the oldest of 15 on that side. But now there are quite a few of my cousins who have kids. So we're probably closer to to 24, 25 by now. Look and grandma's me. still alive. So she's got great grandkids. Stop it. What's yep. and her name is? Merle. 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 Now, okay. So for you people out there, I guarantee you didn't have this coming up. But in Godfather 2, obviously, Connie Corleone comes back home and she wants to see her brother in Lake Tahoe, and she goes and she shows up with somebody named Merle. And while Merle was sitting there, a young Al Pacino says, I don't know this Merle. I don't know how he makes a living, but you're going to tell him you can't marry him. Meanwhile, the guy was sitting right there next to Al Pacino. How awkward is that type of situation? And have you ever found yourself in that type of a situation? Where I was sitting next to somebody that I couldn't marry? <laughs> because your family didn't approve of him. I mean, that, no, that was no. pretty... I encourage you to go check that scene out. But, uh, you know, I'm not looking to go down this road with you unless you really want to go down it with me. The only people that my family would forbid me to marry are Cubs fans or Cardinals fans. For good reason. Again, Cardinals on your heels. You know what's having a rough go of it recently? Not only the Brewers, loser of three straight, but the oil market. And is this a good thing or a bad thing? I mean, on the knee jerk, you got to say it's probably good for the consumer. Obviously, gas prices have been coming down pretty steadily over the last four or five weeks. Are we finding support here? I know you correctly said you thought the path of least resistance was lower. Dan said Mm -hmm. that as well. What are your thoughts on crude oil and what does it mean? I think it's a good thing for road trips. It's a good thing for the consumer who's trying to fill up their tank with gas. Another thing that we did in North Carolina was try out three different gas stations and test, you know, how low everybody's prices would go. But Bad thing in the sense of, is it a signal in the market of tough times to come? And Guy, you and I have talked about this many, many times. Most of the time, a recession is preceded by a spike in oil prices. So the fall in oil prices tells me that we saw the spike and now the recession is coming. So if you add up some of these things, like an inversion in the yield curve, a spike in oil prices behind us, and now falling oil prices, which is a cyclical indicator, it tells me that, again, six months, 12 months from now, we probably have a lot bigger bump in the road. 
So I apologize. I don't know what's going on with my internet connection. Perhaps I need to call my service provider, but I will tell you, EY did not miss a beat, and that's why she is who she is. By the way, here's to you, Troy Donahue. Do you know what that's from, EY? No idea. Of course you do. It's from the great movie, <laughs> Grease. Stockard Channing oh. sings it. Here's to you, Troy Donahue. I know what you want to do. Nobody had that on their bingo card. I guarantee it. But I have fun always on Thursdays. I'm sure when Dan watches this, he will yell at me, not you, because it was entirely my fault. But that's it for today's Market Call. I want to thank EY from SoFi for joining us. Check out her blog every Thursday at SoFi.com slash blog. Follow her on Twitter. I know you all are. Tell your friends. Tell your friends. At Liz Youngstrat. I want to thank our sponsors, FactSet. SoFi, we are powered by Open Exchange. I'm finding a new ISP. Did I do that correctly? Internet service so. provider. That's pretty damn good. I'm off to do our podcast now, which is why I'm knotted up. Thank you, EY. Thank you, everyone. We'll see you later, alligator. Bye-bye.